And so wherever you are working, whatever you're sharing with the world, the more that is an experience, even if it is actually a tangible thing, but the more that tangible thing is an experience, the more success I believe that you will have because we all viscerally react to experiences right now. Hello and welcome back to I Want Her Job, the podcast. Today we're speaking with Rachel Hofstetter. And if you have an interest in PR, startups, marketing, or writing for magazines, or starting a business, we think you'll love the show. Rachel's had some dream jobs already. She worked as food editor at O oh, the Oprah magazine. After being inspired talking to food entrepreneurs, Rachel decided to write a book. She got a book deal and published Cooking Up a Business. Rachel's also a startup founder. In this call, we talk about how Rachel's idea to connect people at her wedding turned into a startup she co-founded called Gesturly. And Rachel's also co-founder of PR School. So we also talk about PR School. Rachel gives us some PR tips. And Rachel's currently VP of Marketing at Chatbooks, the company she sold her startup to. So as you can probably tell by now, there's so much to talk about with this amazing lady. Let's get started. Rachel, welcome to our show. Can we start by you telling us what your current jobs are today? Goodness. Well, part of the reason I'm so excited to be talking to you, Paulina, and on the I Want Her Job podcast is that about two and a half years ago, I was featured on the I Want Her Job website and love Brienne and what the whole community is about there. And what's so amazing is just how things have grown and changed in those past two and a half years. So I will probably start at the very beginning and catch everybody up with what's been going on. But I started life, if you will, started uh, professional life as a magazine editor. And the longest and kind of, I guess I would say, I don't know, peak of my magazine career. And what I love the most was when I was the food editor at Oh, the Oprah magazine, which is probably about as close to a dream job you, <laughs> as you can get, literally. I mean, you're eating food all day at one of the top magazines in the world and having tons of fun. I absolutely loved it and really thought I would do it for the rest of my life. Uh, but one of the things I did as a food editor was talk to lots of up-and-coming food entrepreneurs. Part of my job was to know everything that was new and current and hip. And so I talked to a lot of people and was trying all these amazing foods they were making, but was just as interested in their stories and the behind the scenes of what they were doing in their jobs, in their careers, and more importantly, you know, as entrepreneurs. And so I wrote one piece for Oprah Magazine featuring a number of food entrepreneurs who had started making their cookies or their spaghetti sauce literally at their kitchen counter. And now we're running multi-million dollar businesses. And featured their stories, was super into what they were doing, ended up turning that into a book deal with Penguin Random House. And my book, Cooking Up a Business, was sold, had a ton of fun writing it, featured lots of amazing food entrepreneurs. And I started the book thinking I was 100% a food person. That's what I cared about. That's where my passion was. That's what I loved. And ended up being a business person by the end. I was like, oh my gosh, this entrepreneurship thing is so amazing. Mm -hmm. And so really got into that. And at the same time, my husband and I got married. We had people coming in from all across the country. And we created what we called the Wedding Facebook, which was a little booklet. And it had everybody's picture and name and a fun little bio, just introducing them to all of our other guests. We wanted them to feel important because they travel across the country to be there. 
And also we were like, hey, our people rock, you know, like I might not be great at doing stuff like flowers, but I can definitely tell you that, hey, our people here are going to be amazing. You're going to love meeting everyone. So we really wanted to highlight that and have it feel like an inclusive, really welcoming event. So we made these little booklets. It was all we thought it was going to be this cool thing for our own wedding. And then, as you can imagine, uh, you've probably heard many stories like this before of accidental entrepreneurs. People started asking for them. Our friends said, hey, can you help us do that thing you did at your wedding? So we started doing it for friends and friends of friends. And then we got a call from a guy and he said, hey, I heard about this thing you do. How do I do it? You know, how do I get it? And we're like, oh, we don't do. How much do you want to pay? (laughs) And that was a tipping point. And I think that tipping point only came because I had written the book and because I had seen all of these entrepreneurs who were just like me when they started out, right? Like no big investors, no experience in this type of thing. Just saying like, hey, I have a concept. I have a lot of you know energy I can put into something. Let's try it and see what happens. Try it really small, see what happens. And so we tried it really small, uh, had a lot of really fun things happen right away, including a lot of press. We were in Glamour, real simple, all over the place. Got a call from uh, Procter & Gamble and said, hey, you know, can we do this for this event? And a lot of things happened. Of course, we made, built the wrong software, built the wrong software again, finally built the right software, had a ton of adventures along the way. And uh, in November, we sold Guesterly. By the way, that's what we called that company, Guesterly. We sold that to a photo book company called Chatbooks. And I now lead marketing for Chatbooks and Guesterly. So that's been the very short version of the wild ride of the last three and a half years. That is incredible. And I love how you tested the model and then made it happen. So when you, when you said you tested this, the software went, went wrong, how, what kind of lessons learned would you share in your um, journey of creating Guesterly and successfully selling it? Which congratulations. Well, I will tell you, I've learned so many lessons, and I think that's the fun part about just doing them, because I will share some of them today, and I had heard so many of these from other people. I mean, believe me, I thought, I'll be honest, I thought I probably knew a decent amount about business after writing a book on lots of startups, and yet, when you do it yourself, you go, oh, that's what they meant. So uh, that's part of the fun of it, learning everything yourself. But the biggest lesson was start as small as you can because it's going to change so much and you know we the very first iteration of Guesterly we thought like oh we will have magazine editors because remember I was still a magazine editor all my friends were magazine editors we'll have magazine editors write this for you Hmm. um, and that'll be amazing and it turned out nobody wanted that it was like oh I want to write it myself so then we made software that let you write all of your bios and stuff yourself, helped you pull in the pictures. And that was what we had done for our own wedding. It seemed to make a lot of sense to us. Oh, it's this amazing surprise for our guests. I accept that. It turns out that's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And that was a big aha for us. Like, oh, this is not actually, you know, the super fans loved it. If you were like, I totally am obsessed with this idea. I want to surprise my guests. This is the most important thing to me. Great. You know, so we were selling them. There were super fans. But it was this moment of, oh, we need to make it easier. And so our software originally, you know, take us like, I don't know, three days, I think, to make our 
original guesterly for our wedding by hand. And then the first software took that down to like, hey, it would take you a day. And we rebuilt the software after that. And now it takes, you know, whoever's organizing an event, maybe 10 minutes. Wow. Because it's now all crowdsourced. Everybody puts in their own stuff really quickly, uh, pulls it all together into a book for you, and voila, you're done. And what's so cool about that is it let us go into corporate events, things like conferences, retreats, reunions. And that's a place where we've been really, really successful. And people just love it. Like imagine walking into your next conference and getting a little booklet that has everybody's name and company and a fun fact about them and having that as you go through the whole conference. It just completely changes your experience of how you get to meet and connect with people and follow up with them afterwards. And so that was finally the right software. And I will tell you that when that moment hits where all of a sudden you see it working after all the blood, sweat, and tears, uh, definitely a very exciting moment. I love that story and how you 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 know you iterated on that and and you're a storyteller so I love how you took you know being this natural storyteller to connect people and do you have any stories of how even at your wedding how people you know reacted to to Gesterlian when they saw it and how it created you know encounters between people Oh completely uh, from a very simple angle and very fun you know it helps people connect romantically Yvette you know I like to say it lets me play matchmaker but we all have you know an inner extrovert if you will and some people are awesome extroverts and they will take any occasion to go out and talk to new people but not all of us are and what I've seen with Gesterly is that for many people as soon as you give them an opening to go up to people and say, hey, you know, I saw that you just got back from Germany. I'm going to Berlin next month. What should I do? As soon as you give them just a little bit of an opening and set the expectations that, yeah, we want you to meet new people. We want you to connect with new people. It just changes the whole atmosphere of an event. And so that's one of the most exciting things about this particular business is when people tell us, like, oh, the whole thing felt different. Or, you know, they'll say, hey, I went to this event without a guesterly and I noticed the difference. And we're like, yeah, it changes the vibe a little bit. Yeah, no, that makes so much sense. And so are you working now for chat books? And tell us how your role has evolved uh, today. Oh my gosh. So we are obsessed with chat books. And what is so cool is that I was obsessed with chat books before we ever started talking to them about combining forces. So chapbooks are super easy photo books. And what really changes is it's not a project. You don't just make it for a trip or a holiday or a present. It's a place where you make an ongoing photo book series of your life. And so every 60 photos you add automatically becomes a volume and it's printed with the name and the date range and everything like that. And so instead of just saying like, here's my trip to Italy, let me put all my pictures in a book which, by the way, I am never on top of enough to ever have done anyways. (laughs) But, you know, like my dad used to make us photo books and stuff like that. But instead you're like, hey, you know, my husband and I went out for ice cream and we snapped a selfie. And isn't that awesome that we're just out on a Friday night and life is good and we're going to want to remember this someday. And you just stick that into your chat book. And so it's literally a change my life already. I have this whole series that on my bookshelf. I'm looking at them right now. And every time you want to add a photo, you just add it. So I connect my Instagram account and uh, also you can just tap the heart on your phone and they go in automatically. I have to tell you my favorite thing of it is we just moved houses and I took all these pictures of my old house 
And those pictures that like right now mean nothing to me, but I feel like 10 years from now, I'll be looking through, I'll be like, oh, remember when we lived there? Wasn't that so fun? And so I really love that whole mission of it. And just like with Gusterly, right? Everybody thinks print is dead. Uh, turns out print isn't dead. And so Chatbooks has been about using print to help people hold on to what matters. And Gusterly had been very big into using print to help people connect in real tangible ways, right? They're both experiences. And I think we're in an age right now where experiences are the best thing that you can sell. And so Gushly at the end of the day is an experience. A chat book is an experience. They're not things per se. And so wherever you are working, whatever you're sharing with the world, the more that is an experience, even if it is actually a tangible thing, but the more that tangible thing is an experience, the more success I believe that you will have because we all viscerally react to experiences right now. I think they're more important than they have been even. Um, so got really into that. Got a little bit off on that story there. So I'll take you to a new part, but that's what Chatbooks is. And so now at Chatbooks, um, we have an amazing Chatbooks team. We have an amazing Gesturly team. And I get to get the word out about both of those. So I lead marketing and getting the word out. And as I like to say, all of the fun things across those brands. That's wonderful. And I completely agree with you about print because I feel so many people have thousands of photos and it's out of sight, out of mind. Like you, you need to see them to fully appreciate them, right? And bring you totally. back to that moment. Well, I just have lost some too. You know, like I know they go on my computer and then things get filled and I toss them on a drive and I feel like I should be a grown up about it and figure it out. But at the end of the day, Chatbooks at least makes it so, hey, I have some sort of version of my life in print. And I think about as a kid, my favorite thing was to go into the closet where my mom kept all the boxes of photos. (laughs) And we weren't supposed to because we got our fingerprints on them and everything. But it was one of my favorite things to do. And what I love most were the pictures of my parents, you know, before they had us even. It was like, oh, wow, like, look at my parents being normal people, not just parents. And so I'm just super excited to have all of these kind of memories in a way that are actually accessible and enjoyable. Absolutely. I totally agree. And you know, I read that in your print interview for Final Wonder Job that you got up at 5.30 a.m. to work when you were writing your book for three hours. And I'm curious, how long did you do this for? And this is not an easy feat. And I would think it would take so much discipline. Where did you get the willpower and the drive for this? So I have this theory that you can do anything for a season of life. doesn't mean you're going to do it forever, but you can do anything for a season. So when I was writing my book, and it took me about eight months to write my book, yes, I would get up most mornings at 5.30 because I was working full-time as a food editor as well, and just write that book from 5.30 to 7.30 or so every morning. And it's not that much time each day, right? Like It's only two hours, three hours, but In aggregate, it gets done. And so I took that idea again last year in 2015. And I said, you know what? A lot of things are coming together this year. You know, I pushed a lot of things hard. And I feel like I've worked really hard. But I've got one big push left in me. And so I called 2015 my uh, hashtag, Year of Hustle, and really took that to heart. It was one year where I was going to work harder than I had ever worked before. 
I was going to open every door and then turn back around and open every window and just keep pushing it. And because I made it a defined time period, uh, it really was one of those things that I felt like I could conquer. And so in 2015, Year of Hustle, uh, we launched the all-new Guesterly software. I joined with my friend Angela Gia Kim, and we launched an online PR school called PR School, doprschool.com. And this you know, basically developed a great course to help other entrepreneurs get the word out because we found out it was something we were really able to do well. Uh, and that was awesome because Guesterly was completely self-funded. And doing things like PR school, where I was able to share a lot of valuable information, but also make some nice money, let us keep self-funding Guesterly. Mm -hmm. And so poured tons of energy into those two things. And even with other things, uh, you know, with working out and things like that, it was just one of those things where I said, hey, I'm going to put out everything I can into the universe for one year. And a lot of 5.30 a.m. mornings, I will tell you that, a lot of mornings earlier than 5 a.m. I think for a good six months, we got into the office by 6 a.m. every single day. And amazing things came of it. Um, We sold Guesterly. We built it to a place where it was acquired. We had an amazing time with PR school. And I also really got to know Utah, which is a place we moved about a year and a half ago. So... Anything you can do a season, and that's a really nice way of thinking about it. You don't have to do anything for forever, but especially like a three to 12-month period is a great way to say, here's what I'm doing with all of my energy. That, I mean, that is, you're, you're blowing my mind with how much um, dedication and intention you put in and actually you know, get it done, and um, I'm so impressed, and I love this idea of giving it a season. So what, what was the year of 2016 after all this? So 2016 is hashtag year of Utah. (laughs) And I did get to know Utah a lot last year, but this is really my year to dive in, get to know the people and the community and get involved with organizing things, Uh, get out there and enjoy the natural beauty of Utah a little bit, be an ambassador for Utah. And so it's just how I think about it is that's like the lens I look through the world. So if I'm going to put extra energy into something, what is it going to be? And this year it is the people and places and culture of Utah and Utah startups. And how did you end up in Utah? So we were looking for an awesome place to keep building out Guesterly. And then my husband got an amazing position here and we were really excited. So we moved from New York City about a year and a half ago. So this is fascinating to me because how long did you live in New York City? About a decade. Yeah, about a decade. Okay, so this is a very big change. Can you share with us? um, (laughs) Did you have culture shock? Did you fall in love with it right away? Um, How did that process go? You know what's so funny? It's obviously very different. Like I'm sitting here looking at mountains right now and in New York, you know, you look at skyscrapers. But I think of it as apples and oranges. And because it's not at all like New York City, I don't really fall into the comparison trap. And that's been the big thing for me is – Uh, love it for what it's amazing at, right? I don't say like, oh, Utah doesn't have great sushi. Uh, You know, I'm just like, oh my gosh, Utah has amazing mountains. I'm going to go off for a hike today. So it's really about loving what the awesome thing is for where you are. And then when I go back to New York, I eat a lot of sushi. So, Uh, but yeah, it's not so much as a shock. It's like, uh, 
you love it for everything that's here. And at this point in the world, you know, with people working remotely and it's a fast flight back to New York, I just think of it as gaining another world. Interesting. And um, where did you grow up? Can you tell us about early influences? Yeah, I grew up in Ohio. So heart of it all and great place to grow up. Um, Early influences. Such a great question. Family, parents, school? I would say, to be honest, my biggest influence was moving to New York Hmm. because New York is a place where everybody who moves there is trying to do something big. And so I feel like I got to grow up in this very ambitious magazine culture and so many of my close friends are doers and creators and gunning for something and that up-levels you so much. Uh, So my biggest influence, to be really honest, is going to New York when you're 21 years old and having to make something of yourself from nothing, knowing nobody, and figuring out who you want to be. Mm -hmm. I always tell people, even if you only move away for a year or something, go somewhere, carve out your existence in a place where you don't know anybody because it will make you dream bigger and do more things. Yeah, that's great advice. And what about, um, I'd love to hear more about PR school for people who are listening. Yeah, so PR school is just so fun. And I can share a little bit about what we teach there as well. Sure. But PR school is really this idea where I was talking to all my friends and telling them how to get PR. And I think sometimes if you are an entrepreneur or a solopreneur, there's this idea that media can seem very intimidating. And I never thought like that because for so long I was the media. And the media were just my friends, you know, that I had known for years. They were goofballs just like me. (laughs) And so you're like, oh, yeah, no big deal. But it's understanding what makes it win-win when you reach out to media. And so when I was at Oprah, I got 400 pitches a day, 400 emails each of the pitch a day, easily. And it's like, how do you cut through that? And the real trick of cutting through that is that you we call it give, give, get in PR school. And it's just a simple mindset change. And as soon as you start thinking like this, the whole world of media and press unlocks to you. And it's, you give good story, right? You have to say like, here's why this is interesting. Here's why somebody wants to know about it. Here's how it's helpful. Oftentimes it's, here's how it fits into a trend or here's how somebody can take this information and use it without ever even buying what you're offering. Uh, You know, so it's a tip, it's advice, it's things like that. And so you give good story because, as you know, Paulina, everybody in the media needs good stories. You know, my friends at BuzzFeed literally pitch 10 stories a day. And so they need good stories. And if you are offering a good story, it's a complete win-win. Yeah. No. First gift, right? Like, you need good story. Uh Uh-huh. I'm fascinated because I want to take PR school. Like how, what were the ones that stood? So the ones that stood out of the 400 where, where they were giving you great. Oh yes. And here's the good news. Cause I want to tell you the 400 pitches, but then I want to tell you that of that, a very, very small handful followed these give gives that I'm going to share. And so if you actually do this, you stand out in such a big way that all that other competition just falls away. So It's give good story, and then it's give like it's a friend. And of those 400 emails, the vast majority, 97% at least, were mass emails. Even if it had my name, it was just like my name and then 
everything else was a mass email. And you're like, wow, a thousand of my friends and I got this. Hooray. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas like if you treat the editor like a friend and you're like, you know, hey, name, uh, here's this thing. You know, I love what you wrote last month about mini appetizers. I thought you really might like this new dessert trend on, you know, one bite desserts. Here's a chef that could be a great resource. Thanks so much, Paulina. Right? Like all of a sudden we're having a conversation. It's actually an email that you wrote to me. Mm-hmm. And it changes everything. And I will tell you that when I was at Oprah and most editors I know today, if you as a founder or as somebody who is living and breathing a brand reaches out with a personalized email that's like genuinely personalized, it makes sense for what that person covers, and you keep it super like a friend, then they will keep talking to you. And then things like, you know, give samples abundantly, be you know, super on top of getting back to people. Basically treat them like your most important friend and it changes everything. So you give good story and then you do, you treat them like a friend, you reach out to them personally, you keep it personal uh, and then you get. And the get is the very fun part because we all know about getting you know, the feature or the quote, whatever it is. So we know that, but most people stop there. Mm-hmm. And really, you get two more amazing things. You get this premium brand positioning, right? Like Chatbooks was on the Today Show a few weeks ago. And that's amazing. And we love the story. But now we also get to say, you know, Chatbooks as featured on the Today Show. And so it's, you get to take your brand name, right? This little brand name and then put it with a really big brand name. And so it's like, I told you about Chatbooks. But now I'm going to tell you, Paulina, that Chatbooks is featured in the last month on the Today Show in Oprah Magazine, and Kim Kardashian even shared that she chatbooks. And all of a sudden, you're like, wow, this brand is a big mm-hmm. deal, right? And that's what you can do with your own brand when you get press. But the other thing you get, and this is so often overlooked, is that you get the beginnings of a relationship with the editor or the writer or the producer who made it happen. And here's the secret, is that you don't have to be a one and done. Um, I've had things featured in the same outlet over and over again because once an editor knows you, knows that you're super helpful, that you have good story ideas, they will come back to you for different things over and over. So that first get is just the beginning. And then you get to start the whole cycle over again. So yeah, that's give, give, get. And if you think nothing else about your PR strategy, those three words will change the whole game for you. I love that. Thank you so much. And curious, did you uh, meet Oprah ever? I did. She is lovely. <laughs> that is so cool. And how did you land that job? Because I, I would assume there was pretty fierce competition for that. So I was at another magazine first. So I definitely, you know, you don't start out at Oprah, although some people do. But I have this strategy, you know, theory, as you can tell now, I have lots of theories. But I have this theory that I call chiseling. And if you're ever in New York City, you'll see a cab that's in one lane, and it will be chock-a-block traffic. And there is no way that cab is going to get over into the next lane, except that it puts its wheel into the next lane, and then traffic moves a little bit, and it puts another wheel, and you're like, you're going to crash this cab, you're going to crash this cab. But no, all of a sudden, your cab's in the next lane. And if you ever watch traffic in New York, you will see that happen left and right. And I realized that's kind of what I did with my career. I was an econ major. I was going to go to law school, uh, kind of had a aha moment, realized I love magazines. 
I never thought being a magazine editor could be a real job. Turns out it is. Uh, <laughs> totally on a lark, applied to an internship, got the best internship in magazines, loved being a magazine editor, and then really said, hey, I'm so interested in the food part of this. Uh, really, really interested from an environmental standpoint, from an enjoyment standpoint. And so like, started to chisel my way into food, got to go to French Culinary Institute and learn a lot of stuff there. And so with many things in life, you're just putting all the pieces into play and then the right thing comes along at the right time. And I came in at a very, very low level and just everywhere there was an opportunity, grabbed it. And that's the real story there is not even seeing the opportunity that somebody else gives you. I'll give you one last story of kind of just as a mindset of how I did it. But so I was at Oprah, really wanted to work in food. Um, started working with a food editor, started working with another food editor. And as you, as I grew, I wanted to write a food story. And I was a baby editor, right? Nobody was going to be like, write this big, beautiful feature story. And I kept waiting and waiting for somebody to say, hey, what if Rachel writes this? Well, guess what? It doesn't always happen like that. <laughs> and I also knew if I asked, you know, should I write this? They'd be like, no, 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 we got it, we got it. So what I did is I knew the story that was coming up. I'd been helping with kind of the back end and logistical stuff of it. And then our amazing writer was going to do the actual writing. So I went ahead and I actually just wrote the piece myself. You know, I knew she was going to have to write it the following week. Over the weekend, I sat down, I wrote how I would write the piece. And I gave it to her and I said, hey, you know, no pressure. Just obviously went ahead, took a stab at this. If it's along the lines of what you want, would love if you want to use it. And, you know, she was like, oh, thanks, um, great. And guess what? She didn't use it at all. We didn't run it. My, she did a totally different story. Huh. But the next month, they said, hey, what if Rachel tries writing this? Yeah. And so I tell that story because sometimes you just have to make your own opportunities. And you can't even just ask. You know, I think if I had asked if I could write a piece, I wouldn't have had the same response. But I just said, hey, by the way, I went ahead and did it. And that is how you start to chisel your way into whatever your dream is. I love that. And I love all your theories and how you get things done. The, the one-year rule, this chiseling. Do you have any other kind of uh, time management rules or routines? Or how do you allocate your time and prioritize when you're doing so much? It's such a good question. I do. I love my theories. Uh, the one other thing I really love is called the Daily Action Planner. And it's from Savored Success, uh, my friend I partner with on PR school. But it's a thick physical planner that I use every single day. And it's such a simple strategy. But at the beginning of the week, I write down everything that has to happen for that week. And I actually refer back when I'm making that list to everything I want to accomplish during that quarter. And then I'm like, okay, what do I need to do this week? And every day it has a place where I make my list. But the two most important things in it, all on one page, is A, I have to write down a frog. And the theory behind that is that if you have to eat a frog, you'll like put it off all day and keep thinking about it all day, like who wants to eat a frog? But if you just eat the darn frog first thing <laughs> in the morning, then great, it's done. You don't think about it the rest of the day. And so every day I try to do like one hard thing first. Um, and then the other thing that is in there, and you literally have to write down each day, what are you going to do that day, but what's your frog? And then what is your ship? And the theory behind that is, in olden days, you used to send out ships, you know, it's how trade was done. You'd send out ships, 
And some of the ships would sink. They would never be heard from again. They would come back with nothing. Who knows? But sometimes ships come back with gold. And so it's putting out something new every day. And that's a ritual I really try to follow. I don't hit it all the time, but I do try to follow it. And by having it literally written in the planner, then it's like, okay, what is my ship going to be? But that is sending out an email to a new potential partner, a new press thing, you know, maybe a new person that I might want to recruit. It's something new that didn't exist before that day. And to be honest, a lot of times nothing comes of it. You know, I'll reach out to something and it's a total, would be amazing if it happened. And if it does, you know, you don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. But I think that's one way of thinking about it every single day. It's like, what's something I can do to push this along that is new? I love your theories. I think you have another book in you on how... (laughs) Someday, someday it'll be all of the theories. Yeah, because you've already done so much. And I think a lot of it has to do with how you approach life. And you seem so optimistic and and happy and capable of doing all these great things. Well, I love that. And that is all packed into this daily action planner, which you can Google. And I'm obsessed with it. I carry mine everywhere. People at the office joke about it because I'm always there with it. But it does change how I approach setting up each day. Absolutely. I'm going to check it out. And on that note, are there any other resources you use or books you read? How do you um, keep improving and learning? Oh, such a good question. I'm always asking people that thing as well. What I'm reading right now is a book called The Advantage. And I don't have the name of the author off the top of my head. But that is really, especially if you're building a team, it really talks you through how you build a strong team and build a leadership team where people can be vulnerable and help each other as a leadership team. But a big aha I got from that book is that as a leadership team, you know, you're managing your, you know, I lead, for example, marketing. Um, We have other people that lead finances or technology, but your biggest responsibility is to your leadership team, not necessarily the team that you lead yourself. So in other ways, uh, you know, it's like, I love my marketing team. But at the end of the day, instead of fighting for my marketing team, it's fighting for the good of the company, which ultimately, of course, is for the good of the marketing team. Uh, does that make sense? But it completely shifted how I think about that. Because when I was in magazines, I was always like, okay, you know, I'm fighting for the food team. That's what I'm here for. And that's how we all naturally think about business. But then you're like, oh, no, I'm actually fighting for the good of the business mm. because that makes everything else fall into place. Yeah, interesting. And so quickly, before we end, um, when you think about the next you know, two to three years, are there opportunities that excite you or maybe causes that inspire you or where you know, you're pretty full on time, but where you'd want to be more involved? Such a great question. I think what's exciting about this is when I did the first I Want Her Job piece two and a half years ago, I had no idea I would be sitting here in Utah doing this, talking to you about this. And so it really does help to keep open. You know, I kind of look at the next year and I want to just keep growing these brands like crazy because every step along the way, there are new opportunities. I'm really excited about the startup scene in Utah. Uh, just growing rapidly, lots of amazing people here, building things, moving in. So those are the two things I'm excited about right now. But maybe we'll make a date to talk again in two years, and I'll tell you what happened. Absolutely. And do you have a what? Do you are you thinking of what the year of 2017 will be? To be honest, no. <laughs> um, I usually do it a lot that week between Christmas and New Year, and I spend a ton of time thinking about it then. 
But until then, I just let it roll. How long? I always you- joke that someday there will be a year of sleep, but <laughs> I think I'll just keep pushing that off for you know, 50 years or something. How long have you been doing this like theme year? Year of, my best friend Tammy and I started doing it maybe like seven years ago. We started thinking about it. Um, so like year of open was a big one for me. And that was the year we started guestly. I had no idea going into the year that was where I would end up. But I did want to be open to new opportunities and new things in that year. Uh-huh. And obviously took me on a completely new path. So yeah, a number of years. And the more I do it, the more powerful it gets. I, such great advice. I've, I've, I've already learned so much from this conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us, your advice, and absolutely, we are going to follow up with you. In two awesome. Years. Thanks so much, Paulina. This was tons of fun. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to subscribe on iTunes. We'd love if you could leave us a review. If you have ideas for future shows, you can reach us at podcast at I Want Her Job. Until next time.